<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Well, this is part two of my interview with Perry Gilpin, who, of course, played Roz Doyle on Frasier for 11 seasons. And as I mentioned last week in part one, well, we talked a lot about her career last week. And this week, we kind of drift into freeform and she starts interviewing me, and then we start talking about the process of directing uh, one specific episode that I directed of Frasier, where she was very heavy in that episode. And it's really kind of fun because it's very unstructured, and we talk a lot about the process of making Frasier, also the whole business, craft, art, whatever, of acting. And so that's this week, Perry Gilpin, part two on Hollywood and Levine. So Frasier goes 263 episodes, 11 seasons. What was it like for you when it was over? Because it's like 11 years you're living this lifestyle and all of a sudden your life changes again. Was that a very big adjustment? Well, we had, uh, do you know, we, you know, we had our babies like Friday and then the finale aired the next Thursday. So we had been, you know, pregnant uh, and we probably ended in March, April, May. Right. Right. So we'd been off a few weeks. We'd wrapped. Right. But this final show had not aired. Mm -hmm. So the kids were born, the girls were born on Friday and then the next Thursday they were born in Las Vegas, and we brought them home because, you know, they came out of a roulette well. Well, right. that's what they think. <laughs> <laughs> we won them at the Jack Black table. But, um, but they, so the, um, so Christian said, my husband said to me, you have to go and do all the farewell stuff because all the whole cast was doing, you know, the good morning, and, you know, uh, the Today Show. And, sure. Regis mm-hmm. at the time and all those things. So I was, I just couldn't figure out how to do it. And he goes, you just have to get on a plane and go because that's part of your life. So I did. And I'm, I'm so glad I did, but I just like went, did the shows and just came right back home because there were these two infants, you know? So, and a lot of the end of it was my mind was foggy with all that going on. Sure. But literally my life changed, went from one thing 
you know, staying at the, like, the most fancy hotel. I looked around the room, like, deciding which bath salts I would have and <laughs> making myself a cocktail from the, in a crystal glass, you know, overlooking Central Park, going, I wonder when the next time I'll be somewhere like this is. Uh-huh. I, I, I just knew. I knew. And I, and then, you know, and then I went home and I, I knew I was going to go be a mom to these two babies because I, I'd been offered things, but... I knew, and I and I, want, it wasn't that I didn't want to work. I wanted to work, but I, after eleven years on Fraser, I knew it wasn't the show. It's not going and rehearsing. It's not learning the lines. It's not all the that. It's all the promotional stuff. And what are we wearing? And what happens with my hair? And all that, and the makeup, and all that stuff. That's fun too, but it t- takes up every minute. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be there. I just couldn't imagine bringing them into the world and then leaving to go do that all the time, which I know I knew getting one started, I knew what it would be. So it, my life went from like one thing to a complete opposite in a day. Wow. And now you guest on a lot of things. Uh, I saw you on CSI with, with Ted Danson Mm -hmm. and, uh, so you were on Broad City, I saw you. <laughs> You're on Broad City. That came out of the blue. I just got a call one day. My agents were, you know, of course, they're kids. They were so young. And they're like, Perry. They were so excited. And I went and I loved Abby. And I had the greatest time. Those two girls, those two women are awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but that's... Because they're, like, everyone's talking to them. Everyone, they have to be included in every decision. They're They're acting in it. They're... Writing it, you know, somebody has to walk up and ask them to make a decision on a million other things. Plus, everyone's talking to them because they're so young and accessible. And and then also they're shooting in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn feels like this is our family and people are coming up and watching and talking. And they just stayed so present and in themselves and they were just able to deal with all of it and and still turn in quality writing. It's a fun writing. show. Yeah. It is. It's a funny, funny show. It is. Yeah. Can I interview you? Sure. Okay. So you were on MASH, right? Yes. But that wasn't your first job. No. What was your first job? First job, the first show that we sold was the Jeffersons. Oh. Yeah. Did you create the Jeffersons? We didn't create the Jeffersons. We wrote an episode. Who better to write uh, the Jeffersons <laughs> than than two Jewish kids? Yeah. No. We, we worked on the Jeffersons, and uh, then we wrote episodes of shows you've never heard of called Joe and Sons. And we did. Wait, a wait, wait. Who was the, he, the the Richard Castellano, the guy from? Wasn't he kind of heavy big, set? Heavy set yeah, guy. Yeah, I remember yeah. that show. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You're I the remember one. that show, and it was good. You're the one. You're I the loved one. him. And then we did some stuff for Barney Miller, and then we got invited to write an episode of Mash, and that's when our career really took off. By Larry Gelbart. Uh, you know, Larry Gelbart was there. The other great thing too was. We wrote the MASH episode. It was very well received, and they kept giving us more episodes to write that season. And we used that episode to get an assignment, a freelance assignment, on the Tony Randall Show at MTM. And they liked our Tony Randall Show well enough to hire us on staff. So that was our first staff job. And one of the directors who was there who did a lot of the episodes was Jimmy Burroughs. So now you flash forward to early 1982 and Jim Burroughs and the Charles Brothers have this pilot of Cheers and they're looking for 
somebody to produce it with him, and Jimmy remembers us, and Jimmy suggested us. So that's how that came about, that we then wound up on Cheers. And did you guys run Cheers with the, or did we, the, the well Charles Brothers ran it right you know but the first season the writing staff was Glenn and Les Charles and me and David oh my that's god that's it it was just the four of us and that must have been such a wild ride because it was so critically acclaimed but it was it was so yeah unlike Frasier nobody knew he existed how long did you guys stay in that capacity we stayed we stayed for a year we went and collaborated with Larry Gelbart on something else after that and then went back. Then we created a show for Mary Tyler Moore. We did that for a year. Then we went back to Cheers, and then we stayed at Paramount for 20 years. We were Cheers and Frasier, and we had our own shows and uh, wrote on all of them and consulted on all of them and produced, and I directed all of them but Cheers. So, um, yeah, that's... That's kind of how we I had our... loved our experience when uh, my experience when you directed Roz and the Schnoz. Oh, thank you so much. I've told you this a bunch, but I it's still one of my well, it's my favorite episode because it was so nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like at the end. Do you remember that great scene that they put on at the end? Do you remember that you guys all put on? But it was the scene where I come out and and from I that I come out. But I was up late just looking at this picture of my, uh, you don't know what. Right. And so I said, because I met the grandparents of my baby that was still, I was pregnant with. Right. And they had huge noses. And that was the thing where you thought, oh my God, my baby is going to have this huge nose. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But also it, it, it also made it real. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like, this is going to be, there's going to be stuff I'm not prepared for every day. Right. And I don't want it to be that way. I want to be on top of this. I want to control this. I want to know how, you know, and, and Daphne comes in and she's, she's saying, what's wrong? And I said, I don't want anyone to make fun of my kid. And, and she, and I told, I start showing, talking about this picture and it was everything (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, glasses and a third nipple. And, you know, my, my husband has a third nipple. And oh. So I know that's why they added that in. Yeah, we gave you a lazy eye, I think. Yeah. But also more, it was also something else. It's everything I had to say, it was just so hilarious because it's all the things we all have. And she says to me, your child is going to get made fun of. You have to be there for your child and teach them how to deal with it. That's your job. Right. And to me, that is very much my relationship with Jane in real life. I say something ridiculous that I think is really makes a lot of sense, and she'll go, no, Perry, this is... <laughs> Let me explain how life is. <laughs> and she's always right. Well, two things I loved about th- that show. I loved that scene. We shot it way back at the table where we rarely shot on the show. It was at night, it was dark, it it looked really good, and it was just so perfect because there was so much hell's-a-pop and stuff happening in the episode. It was really nice to just sort of take a breath and ground the show. Yeah. Was so, that your idea? What? Was that your idea? My idea, I think, was to put it up there and, and to just have it more mood. Yeah. Because um, being on in the living room was so theatrical. I mean, you, it was so much fun to play long scenes there right. because, it, because you, you, it was your I full kind of wanted it intimate and yeah. mood. And so but in that I, room. I set it up there. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. 
And the other thing I remembered, Kevin Kilner and Jordan Baker real were life. the couple. Yes. They are a real-life couple. They were given these huge, funny <laughs> noses. And everyone in the cast could not hold it together. The only one who managed somehow to always stay in character was you. <laughs> I don't know how you did that. I would say to the camera guys, if you see one of the actors really start to go, stay with them, okay? <laughs> don't go to your next mark, I'll pick it up. But I want that genuine moment. And uh, if you go back and watch that show, and there's David Hyde Pierce, and his shoulders are shaking, and Jane is having trouble. Even, well, I, Mahoney, he just, like, lost us. <laughs> but you were the only one you managed to keep it together. And so it was great, because I could always then cut to you when everybody else was <laughs> laughing hysterically over this. And then I was able to cut to you... <laughs> You know, it like made it all just like so real. It's like made your problem so much more real because like, yeah, look, look at there. Everybody's making fun of these noses. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and she was like taking it all in like, like oh, well, I, I loved the the premise. I loved her position. Uh-huh. You know, she every life was just happening around her and she just had to she was just t- taking it all in because she was going to have this baby. And they were, it was going to have a nose like that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Richmond wrote the episode. Yes. And there's a big, long scene where everybody comes in kind of one at a time and sees the couple for the first time. And so I didn't want it to just be, now this person comes in, now this person comes in, now this person comes in. So I tried to stage it where they came in from different places and different angles and different reactions and that type of thing. And when we had the run through, which went pretty well, I said to Jeff Richmond, is this kind of the way you pictured it? And Jeff said, I had no idea how this would look. <laughs> I had no idea that this would work at all. So thank you. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. Then that's what I mean by collaborative. Nobody, he, you know, he didn't take the moment to say, I love Jeff Richmond so much, you know, to say, uh, well, it's not exactly what I had in mind, but you know, he 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 said, "I don't know." Yeah. Thank you. I mean, that's that's the classic Frazier response. You know, thank you. Uh, on Cheers, all the time when Jim Burroughs used to direct practically all of the episodes, there would be something we'd be sitting in the room and we'd be going, "Well, wait, so how would that work?" Where Norm would do thing, and then where would Sam be, and everything, and we would just go, "Jimmy Magic." That's that's Jimmy magic. Just he'll figure it out. Just 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 let Jimmy do. It's it's one o'clock in the morning and we're on page twenty eight. Let's not worry about this. Right. That's Jimmy magic. Well, that's what I I learned when Pam Fryman directed, because I couldn't get out of my head being from theater that like she directed that Halloween episode. Okay. And so I kept thinking. Well, when I leave this scene, like you're talking about, when I leave this scene, later I'm going to come down the stairs. So I have to go where it makes sense that I then would go upstairs so I could come down later. And it it took me, like, that episode, because I kept saying, well, where do I go from here? And she was like, well, you can just go back there. Because she was her version. (laughs) I was driving her insane. (laughs) But what I've learned during that time is 
it's not theater. It feels like theater because there's an audience there and it's written theatrically, but it's not theater. We can you can just go away and come back from a staircase. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's also the case with matching. You guys will do a scene two or three times and sometimes things won't match. Okay, the glass of water will be on your right, and then in the next take, the glass of water is on your left. So when you're trying to cut together the best performances of the two, then it's kind of tricky, and you go, well, our choices are either keep the match, make sure that we just use that one take, and the uh, glass will be on the right side the whole time, or... We cut back and forth and get the best performance, and the glass is going to pop back and forth, <laughs> right. back and forth. And Can you we, crop? Well, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. But we always opted for the performance. And just let the glass and fly And just around. let the glass fly. And <laughs> awesome. There's a, an episode that we wrote the first year that Jimmy directed, and it was the one where Lilith came back. And there's a scene in the hotel room the morning after they had slept together and Frazier had second thoughts about getting back together with her, and they order room service breakfast. And if you watch that scene, <laughs> nothing matches. <laughs> I mean, the the silver top is on in one shot, then it's off on another, <laughs> then it's, things are moving around the table. It's like nothing matches, but you don't, you don't care. Yeah. You, you don't care. Yeah. And that's two pros. I mean, those are two people that, you know, would know when they're moving. Because, you know, usually in a single camera, the script supervisor is really on you about right. continuity. But that, and also, Jimmy never used marks. So no director on Fraser ever used marks, except rarely. So after, I was also rendered useless as an actress after Frasier because I couldn't <laughs> hit a mark to save my life and everybody else uses them. Right. You know, but that's a, there was one show where I can't remember what happened, but the cameraman just had to, just had to get the shots because I don't remember why, but it, it was just interesting because they, because Jimmy said, of course they will all just get the shots. Don't worry. And everybody did. They uh -huh. knew where to go and what to do. Right. You know? Well, you're working with a skilled director who knew how to block these shows. And look, as a director, I learned so much from Jimmy. And one of the things that I learned is a plane flies overhead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're in Beirut, by the way, recording this. <laughs> but Jimmy was way more concerned with the performance than getting beautiful shots. If an actor is blocked just a little bit because he's not exactly on his mark. Uh, that is not as important as actors who are so concerned about, uh, okay, I got to hit my mark, and on this line I have to cheat out a little bit for the camera. It's like you get better performances and you get better energy, and you're right, these guys will capture it. They'll get it. They're, they're, they're great cameramen. Yeah. They'll get it. And they, they know what's funny. Like, I, I couldn't wait for, um, for us, it was like Wednesday table read, Thursday rehearsal, Friday rehearsal, and then Monday and Tuesday the camera would be there. Right. Camera department. And then everybody, the whole crew. And I couldn't wait 
to get in front of them because to me that was always like I knew if something was going to work by what they, you know, yeah, by they their were reaction. they were usually good laughers. And and were right on. Were they they had great taste and they were really invested. They were such a part of the show. I, there was one cameraman, do you remember him, Vaughn? Sure. Who'd worked on Modern Times. Red with, hair? Yeah. No, that was Gary Armstrong. Oh, okay. Vaughn was a very handsome man in his 80s. Okay. And his wife was my stand-in, okay. Joan. And they would send out Christmas pictures where he would be standing by the wall in Venice in his bathing suit in like 1925 or something, uh-huh. <laughs> looking like... Uh, hottie, you know, and uh-huh. then he'd, it'd be him now standing at the same wall at 85, you know, uh-huh. still hopefully looking, not wearing the same. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. And looking great. <laughs> they were really, they were, they were great. And he would say, you know, he'd have stories from, he had stories from modern times. He worked with Charlie Chaplin. Wow. But so did you observe Jimmy? Is that how you learned to direct? Uh, yeah. A lot of it was observing how Jimmy worked with the actors and worked on story because I once said to him it was my first time and it was going to be wings and I was asking him about you know when you need this shot and when you need that shot and Jimmy said look if the story works you can set a camera (laughs) and just film the master of the whole show and the show will work Mm -hmm. and if the story doesn't work you can have all the camera angles in the world and it's not going to make the show work so he was very into story and of course my background as a writer yeah that's what i was was into too and so that became very helpful in terms of the technical aspect of it in terms of camera blocking and everything i learned nothing from jimmy because he was so fast i know that it was like impossible to keep up with him. So I learned that more from David Lee, from Andy Ackerman, from Jeff Melman, and from Andy other came people. from editing first, right? Yeah. And then into mm-hmm. to directing. So right. it, like all these people got came with all this prior knowledge right. and then put that on their on their directing. Yeah. I just it's like what I don't know is actor speak. Okay? Right. I I don't know well, my emotional inner child center isn't right, and it's like I, I don't, I don't know what that means. Well, <laughs> if the story's good, you're not going to hear any of that. You right. know what I mean? If if the script right. works, no one's going to talk about it in that way with you. They'll all the actors will talk about it amongst themselves, <laughs> but they'll bring a problem to you usually or a question. If, you know, usually actors do it because they want to make the story work, so they've got a question about the story. You know, but sometimes actors get into their heads and, you know, start. But also actors don't have that the same vocabulary for what you're talking about amongst each other. Right. No, you all have different processes. And that's my job as a director to see all of the different processes and do what I can to get you all to peak at the same time. (laughs) And it's tough because there are some actors who just love to rehearse and there's other actors that like, okay, I got it. I don't want to do this to death. And so it's that kind of thing. But one thing I learned from Jimmy, and again, because I was a writer, I would do this, and most TV sitcom directors don't, is I would go back to the room after the run-through, and I would sit with the writers, and we would discuss what needed to be done, what story fixes needed to be done, and if we were long, what we were going to cut, and that type of thing. And it became very helpful because the next morning at 9 o'clock, 
when you all arrived and you saw a new script, I was able to say, okay, this was what we were trying to do. And this section was very funny, but we were long. And so that's why we cut it. It's not because you didn't get a laugh, you didn't do it right. It's just that the show is 27 minutes and we had to cut something. Right. So it made it a lot easier when you guys knew what the game plan was, that you weren't just looking at a script, because I'm sure there were times when you would get a script and you would go, why did they do this? What, huh? Why, why did they cut that? Why did they change this? Well, after a few years, you started to get, you know, like especially because, you know, we'd have those powwows after each scene. Uh-huh. Every, for, for Thursdays and Fridays on rehearsal days, the writers would come down after we rehearsed and we'd do this run through and we'd have powwows after each scene. Right. So if you, there was a really, I mean, if it was the kind of thing that was cut and dried and everybody got it and there were, you, were, you were in and out of there and everyone would go, everyone fine with that? Yeah, that works for me. And then we'd move on to the next scene. But if after, within those two days, if there was something that was really not working as, you know, you could talk about it and find out what you're talking about. So for you to go back and spend that time in the, in the writer's room and then come and just sort of say it from the beginning of the day... You solved a lot of problems earlier, but right. the, but the great thing about that group is those problems would have gotten solved eventually or understood because there was always such open communication. But to have it at the beginning of the rehearsal day was icing on the cake, you know, because then you could really rehearse and you could go, oh, they 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 let that go because so this is what we need to focus on. They decided that we didn't need. You know, the other thing too being a freelance director and going around and doing different shows, is you knew whatever needed to be addressed in the Frasier Room would be addressed and it would be terrific. There were some writing staffs, you know, and I'd go back to the room and we would talk about what needed to be done. And I'd go home and I'd go, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's, let's see what they do. And you come in the next day and it's like, better but it's not really great but that's the great thing about the Fraser room is you know when I would walk out of there and, and go to dinner I knew it's, it's going to be great new stuff tomorrow yeah 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 we did too we, did you guys get spoiled as a result of that working on other shows and stuff where you didn't have that after Fraser? Do you think I... Uh, you really want me to answer that? Okay, you just did. <laughs> Do I have to answer? Yeah, because, just, I mean, that was just the... That was a the, the caliber of everyone in that room over the years. And then also all at one, being together at once. I, I don't know that that exists. And then especially after Frasier, you went through this decade of reality TV where people weren't really writing a lot of comedy uh-huh. so you don't have people that have been doing it for those 10 years except for many of our friends we the people are but not the not a lot of young and up and coming writers who needed to cut their teeth on that right yeah groom them you know our last episode that we wrote of Frasier which was the Miss Right Now episode with Jennifer Tilly yeah and Dave and I were standing on the stage and it was playing really well to the audience. And I turned to him and I said, is this going to be the last sophisticated half-hour mm-hmm. comedy that you and I ever get a chance to write for television? 
And unfortunately, so far it is. <laughs> you know, well, and it's a, it's a shame to me. It's like, you know, why isn't there a Frasier? Why isn't there some show that is geared for smart, intelligent, sophisticated people? Which, by the way, is everybody. You know, it's like Frasier did really well in the flyover states. Yeah, it, it assumed, that's what I think its legacy is, is its heart. But also the assumption that if you're talking to smart people, you have to be smart. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so, like, you can't, you can't dumb down. Yeah, no, you, you, play, you play up to the audience. And it's, you know, one thing that I always tell writing students... Always play your characters to the top of their intelligence. Yes, and assume that anyone watching is gonna is there too. Right. If they have to go look something up, or if they have to watch it again, or if they have to think about it for a little while to figure it out, fantastic. I right. Mean, I I watch some of the stuff that's on TV now, and I get so angry because I think about how hard so many people work to just cobble you know <laughs> 22 minutes just literally build it and you know with such care and love and and thought and then and i'll watch something and uh, they'll say the same things over and over that some producers fed them for like three hours they'll just say the same weird catchphrase they don't even know what they're saying they're just uh-huh. using it in all these different ways hoping it works <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's sort of like me talking right now. But it, but th- this is, should not be on television. What I'm doing right now. <laughs> it's, it's the world of podcasting. <laughs> well, Perry, this has been great. This has really been fun. Just riffing back and forth. Did you, did you have it on? Yeah. Oh, oh you <laughs> bet. You bet. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I think you're amazing, and your history is just as amazing to listen I'm to. I'm recording as this for sure. Oh, Thank good. you. Thank you. And I, I loved listening to you on a, you know, Kevin Smith's show, and I, it was like one of my, it's, I listened to yours, and then I went and did it too, and had so much fun with them, and I'm glad you're doing this because you have such a unique perspective on this, on our business. You know, and I do think that there's room for another great show like Frasier and that appeals to that audience, yeah. you know, and I don't know if because it's on Netflix and you can just watch it, if that makes it means it's not going to be on, I don't know, but I'm glad that people are still finding You know, it. I don't care whether it's on Netflix or Amazon or NBC or Hallmark whatever, or you know, I'll find it. Cozy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll find it as long as... It's something I want to watch. And we have the Frasier reruns. And we have our memories. We have our memories. And I have my one-cent residuals. So. <laughs> right, right. And we have the residuals that are one-cent. <laughs> Thanks, Ferry. Thank you, Ken. Okay, so we spent a lot of time in that episode talking about the... Frasier episode, Roz and the Schnoz, and I mentioned it at one point, but if you want to go back and listen to the podcast episode in which I basically give a director's commentary track, 
It is episode 73, so you might want to scroll down and listen to that one again. Our thanks to Perry Gilpin. She really is fun, isn't she? Great guest. Also to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler and to Howard Hoffman. My email address, should you wish to get in touch, is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Again, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. And yes, I will write you back. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I would appreciate it. That's at Ken Levine. I also want a five-star review. I want a lot from you people. And you can follow me on Instagram, Hollywood, and Levine. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.